Hey, it's Jackie, and we're in part three of our series on abortion. And I'm having this conversation because I want abortion rights to go down, but I'm also uneasy about limiting women's bodily agency. So my hope is through these discussions, you and I can become better informed so that we can make wiser decisions about life, mine, yours, and theirs. Welcome to the Jackie Always Unplugged podcast, where we're having off-the-record conversations. I'm Reverend Dr. Jackie Reese, founder and president of the Marcella Project. As a pastor, preacher, and thought leader, I've walked with women of faith for decades and had thousands of conversations about what women encounter solely because they are women. At work, family, their faith, with relationships, sex, the church, their bodies, and Jesus. On this podcast, we're going to be asking hard questions, dealing with real issues, and revisiting scripture with a new lens. These conversations are going to put words to your female experience. They're going to ennoble you as Jesus intended and encourage you to bring your full self to the table. It's here we're going to reshape our view. Well, welcome back. Um, we're here, and we're going to pick up our conversation with Mako Nagasua. Uh, in our previous episode, we covered what the early church believed about the fetus as a person, and we also looked at how early Christians relied on science and how science today can continue to inform us about this conversation of when is the fetus a person. Today, we're going to be diving into why the church has changed their mind about abortion over time, and how did it become so politicized in the United States. So welcome back with me, Mako. Mako, tell us, how did we get to this point where we have an irrational conversation going on right now about abortion? And so I want to talk about, and this is where we're going to swing back to, um, uh, abortion um, positions have changed throughout history since the inception of the church and beyond. And you kind of tapped on something happening in, uh, I guess it was the 1980s, and how the North was anti-abortion and the South was much more pro-choice. Those words weren't, pro-choice probably wasn't being used at that point, but Talk, talk to us about what was at play here and what's, what's gotten underneath people's skin isn't even about this anymore. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yes. Well, <clears throat> I mean, in the 1800s, there are things that happened for Catholics in the 1800s, and then there's similar things that happened for Protestants in the 1900s. And, and essentially, Abortion was used as a way to keep the church relevant, especially in the face of science. And so, you know, in 1869, 1870, there were were two decisions that Catholics made, which is in 1869, they said, we're going to change our view of the fetus from quickening to conception. And then in 1870, they said the Pope is infallible. Now, what's going on there was a fear that science would make the church irrelevant. I mean, science and technology because of Darwin's theories and higher critical studies in the Bible and and so on. And so, you know, the the Catholic Church said, well, we don't know exactly and there's no way to tell. But based on this reasoning called moral probability reasoning, uh, we're going to say, okay, we were 
wrong by pegging ourselves to Aristotle. Now we're going to go to the conception understanding. So, you know, and, and there's no way that science can touch that. So, um, we win, you know, and I want to pause and just point out to our audience that up until 1869, basically, you're saying the church, the Catholic church was not, um, anti-abortion in the early stages according to quickening, right. when quickening happened. Okay, and then we have some events in, in the history, the world history that's happening around them that starts to shift their position, that plays into a shift. Okay. Right. All right, go. Yes, and, and basically they started to view science as a foe rather than as a friend. Right. right. The early church thought of science as a friend in the determination of uh, fetal life. Uh, the, the church in the 1800s and 1900s started to see it as a foe. Now, now Protestants didn't care about abortion. They cared about science in other ways, creation, evolution, and so on. But um, they, they, they actually recognized certain things about the biblical text, like, well, it's not as clear. And, and certainly we don't want to go as far as the Catholics. I mean, at, at certain points, Catholics would say that the mother's life is worth less than the fetus's life. And so who cares about ectopic, ectopic pregnancies? Like the fetus's life is actually worth more, which right. is mind boggling that they would go that far. Protestants didn't really come on board until uh, into the anti-abortion fold until about 1979 and 1980 when Reagan and the Reagan administration enlisted white evangelicals into the anti-abortion campaign. Uh, and uh, there were people like Richard Vigary, Paul Weirich, and James Falwell, uh, or, or uh, Falwell, uh, Jerry Falwell, rather, who who saw that, oh, we could make people feel disgust and a desire for retribution, and we can harness that to bring people into the Republican Party. And it became part of the Southern strategy to win Southern evangelicals over into uh, from the Democratic Party to the Republican Party, because remember, like in the in the 1960s, the Southern segregationists were dem- Democrats, and LBJ, uh, President Lyndon Johnson, by passing the Civil Rights Act, recognized, uh oh, we're gonna we're gonna lose white voters in the South uh, because we supported black voters, and <clears throat> that wound up being partly true, and and. Nixon and Reagan just accelerated that. So Reagan's big planks were capitalism and criminalization, right? So uh, he stitches together a coalition of different interests. One of them was the conservative white evangelical voter. And the connection was made to criminalization and capitalism because, as Richard Vigary said, this is how we bring people into the conservative movement. We talk about, um, well, why do people get abortions? Oh, it's because people aren't trusting God. So it's because of atheism, Mm -hmm. not, not because of ambiguities in the text or, well, there are just difficult situations and moral trade-offs that are difficult, but because of atheism and who mobilizes the atheists, it's the communists. And so abortion and communism are linked. And so that actually is part of uh, the, the, the reason Reagan's coalition was able to stitch together the, the conservative evangelicals, the uh, anti-USSR hawks, right? The foreign policy hawks, 
who, and then the libertarians who wanted to dismantle the new deal because they didn't want social supports going to, well, especially African-Americans, but, uh, they, they didn't want, um, they, they thought of the new deal as communism. And so on all fronts, Reagan was fighting communism, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And that brought, uh, that and, and, and also the ability to do photography in the womb. I mean, that, that was part of the, uh, technological shift that made it possible, uh, for life magazine to publish, you know, pictures of a fetus in the womb. And, um, and so communism became the rallying cry, but the, or anti-communism became the rallying cry. And white evangelicals had a long history already of calling Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. a communist, of uh, calling uh, African-American Christians communists, of calling the New Deal communist. And what is striking about that is that, you know, Catholic voters, Catholics believed that um, poverty drove abortion because in the thirties they, they watched the great depression happen and they saw the abortion rate spike. And, uh, you know, to them, of course, poverty drives the abortion rate because why would people bring children into the world if they were hopeless? Right. right. And so for them, of course they wanted to be pro labor. They wanted a democracy of small businesses. They wanted an economic bill of rights and they wanted the federal government to do it. So they backed the new deal in order to, as part of a comprehensive approach, a social welfare approach to bringing down the abortion rate. White evangelicals in the 80s scrapped the, wanted to scrap the New Deal and reposition the abortion issue in the framework of capitalism and criminalization. And they viewed poverty as the stick motivation. It's like the looming threat that should always be there because look, if you have sex before you're ready, or if you have kids before you're ready, then you should have economic hardship. This is what they thought. Parenting should be hard for you because that's just the way it is. It's a consequence of your moral decision. Yes. Yes. Even though from a moral, philosophical, from a Christian theological point of view, how is it possible that we punish children for the actions or, or misfortunes of their parents and grandparents? Right. What, did, what did children do right, to deserve all of the advantages or the disadvantages that previous generations could pass on to them? Absolutely nothing. So it, it was remarkable, uh, just ridiculously unfair. But that, that was the shift then from the 30s to the 80s uh, and, and the shift from the Catholics to the white evangelicals of what framework do we put abortion into as an issue? And again, if you put it in a social welfare framework, then you will approach it with different tools and, and, and a different uh, ways of trying to bring down the abortion rate. Uh, if we approach it from a criminalization standpoint, uh, then you're, you're going to... Um, yeah, try to throw doctors in prison because, or, or mm. s- strip them of their license or strip women of their rights. Um, We've or, got some or, laws being enacted right now, or at least being presented that would criminalize yes. women and throw them in jail. So yeah, criminals, right. we are seeing right. that right now um, as a result of the overturning of Roe versus Wade all over right now in Louisiana, right. Indiana, I think especially, but bah, bah, bah. 
Yes. And that's why we have to pay attention, not just to abortion policies and parameters of like, well, what's sane, but also the politics of abortion, because abortion is used as an issue to evoke feelings of disgust and the desire for retribution. And that, uh, you know, it's very much like um, calling, you know, someone a pedophile falsely. Uh, it, it summons those right. feelings. Right. And uh, unfortunately, so, so let me that's ask, very effective. I want, I, yeah, it's very effective. So retribution, right? Like, I want to swing back to that because one of the things I'm struggling with, and I even hate saying it because as soon as I do, like people are like, oh my God, she's such a feminist. And as if that's a dirty word for me, but you know, they like, you know, there she goes banging that patriarchy drum again. But I don't see much happening retribution wise for men. And it takes two to get pregnant. And so I'm just, how do we hold men accountable? There's no discussion right now. So we're we're talking about criminalizing women who get, who have unwanted pregnancies. Um, And in just a minute, I want you to talk about who actually gets pregnant uh, with unwanted pregnancies. Because I think we have misunderstandings and myths about that. Um, But what what are we doing? I mean, it feels very patriarchal to me. It feels very oppressive to women and as if we're ignoring that it actually takes two and there's absolutely no accountability for the male whatsoever. Like in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, maybe every man should have a vasectomy when they turn 12 until they're ready to be responsible. Yeah. And then we got to get science right. to the point where we can do it quick and it's not, you know, harmful. But, you know, like what what do you say to that? Because if you're going to criminalization, what is it saying to women that we're the ones taking the brunt of that? Exactly. And uh, I went on a rant. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's that's. <laughs> I uh, have similar rants, and so you know, my my own preference uh, in general is that abortion would be legal for the mother, legal for the doctor, and illegal for the father, and punishable with a fine. And the, part of the reason for that is because, I mean, there's many reasons for that, but as you said, I mean, even I realized kind of jokingly, like, should, should vasectomy, vasectomies be required of boys or young men? <laughs> because it is reversible. Now, there are some risks, but, right. but, the, um, but it is reversible. And that would eliminate almost all unwanted pregnancies. So why don't we approach it that way? Um, especially if people are so willing to set aside the principle of bodily autonomy for women, right. um, you know, especially in cases of incest, rape and, um, just, uh, non-viability and, and things like that. The, it is amazing that there's such a lopsidedness and inconsistency. Um, but part of it is, I think that some of the patriarchal views in the evangelical church and, and the Catholic church are, are result in the view that, well, there need to be consequences for having sex outside of marriage or having sex when you're not ready and so on. And, and so those consequences will fall on the, the mother mostly. And um, if they do fall on the father, it's because the, the, you know, he could pay, I don't know, child support. Um, which is not a lot. So the, the, this, how do we hold men more accountable? I mean, yeah, there are different ideas that I've floated in the book. Again, 
uh, let me put a caveat on all this by saying when we make um, the public health profession part of the criminal justice system, there are huge risks to that. Agreed. Now, the, and we know that by direct experience from abortion itself, but also um, alcohol and prohibition. You know, when, when we, it, prohibition did not stop alcohol consumption right. uh, or sales. It just drove it underground or into a black market or gray market. It corrupted law enforcement. It, it uh, handcuffed our, our, our doctors um, and, and people who wanted to help, right? Because they, they couldn't say, my friend needs to get his stomach pumped because, well, if I turn him into the doctors, then the doctors are going to have to turn him into law right. enforcement. Right. And, and that's exactly the type of situation that many people on the right are wanting. Um, and, and there, we know from data before Roe v. Wade, before 1973, that that had disastrous consequences. It just drove, it did not stop abortion. Um, you know, harsh anti-abortion laws did not stop abortion. It just forced it to go underground or into a black market or gray market. And of course, uh, women of color, uh, poor women, rural women, they, they paid a higher price. Uh, women of means, uh, especially white women of means could always get abortions because there was always some doctor, um, somewhere within reach yep. that would serve that. Yep. So, and that's so true even was, with the laws today, right? Like, so as soon as these yep. laws went into motion, I'll be honest with you, the first thing that, I have a daughter who's 28. And the first thing that, and I have two sons, right? And I, I immediately thought, huh, oh my gosh, this could impact them. And then I thought, oh, it doesn't matter. One way or the other, we have enough money to get them on a plane, go somewhere, right? Like, I, I, again, white right. privilege, white privilege. That is not most people's situation who find themselves right. with unwanted pregnancies. So- Tell us who actually ends up with unwanted pregnancies. What is, what is the driver? And by the way, I want to say, let me back up. I just, here's my sarcasm, New York sarcasm going in. I'm like, as much as we didn't stop people from drinking, we're definitely not going to stop people from having sex. Sex is one of the most human things that people do, right? Go to Genesis chapter one, let us multiply, right? And be fruitful. I mean, it is wired in our DNA. If we can't stop drinking, we sure as hell ain't going to stop having sex. Excuse me. Hell is a biblical word. Just want you to know that. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I just want to say, come on, people. That's not the answer. You know, uh, no sex. Right. That's not the answer. Um, historically, right. we know this to be so. Okay. So who who is having, who ends up getting abortions? Well, poor women. Uh, and because, uh, well, poor women wind up having uh, unintended pregnancies at, at higher rates. And, uh, the last stats that I looked at, which came from just a few years ago, uh, says that um, women in poverty have an abortion rate at three times uh, the rate of women outside under the poverty line, right? I, I'm sorry, over the poverty line. And so by far and away, it is poor women. And it's understandable why that happens. It's because um, capitalism is inhuman and one of the most human things that people can do, as you were saying, is to be in a relationship yes. that feels humanizing. Yep. It may even be becoming a parent. That 
might be a humanizing experience for some, depending on their situation. And it is, it is really troubling um, that then, you know, uh, again, from the 1980s onward, there's this link between abortion put into a framework of capitalism, raw capitalism and criminalization. um, Because then we, we see economic hardship as what people deserve. Um, and, and we don't think maybe we should help those children. And, and so part of my, the burden of the book is to examine contraception because it, look, if we can create this, a window where the most, cons- uh, uh, during the, the early stages of, of the fetus, again, where the, the most conservative that you could be, you know, maybe it's 43 days if you were the brainwave, in the brainwave camp or 23 days at the presence of the brain and nervous system. But that, that's the earliest, that's the, that's the most conservative that you can be. Then that would give plenty of time for IUDs. Copper IUDs are the single most intrauterine devices, the, the long acting contraception for poor women. It's proven to reduce the, um, the rate of unintended pregnancies and therefore abortions. Uh, but there are many, uh, Christian, citizens or, or just conservative citizens and lawmakers who say, well, I cannot in good conscience vote for contraceptive care because it could cause an abortion. It could allow for an egg to be fertilized and cause that egg to be expelled from the uterus. And again, <laughs> raises all these questions then of why do you, why do you peg it to fertilization? Like, why do you peg personhood back all the way back there? So that, and, that is and, one and of the, it's not of just, uh, what if the, what if there's an egg that gets fertilized, right? Because the truth is right. from my understanding, again, not an expert on contraceptives, but they're actually statistically pretty, pretty thorough. Like, like what is the percentage of, of a woman actually becoming, having an egg fertilized when she has an IDU in her? Is it IDU or IUD? IUD. I, I go backwards every time. <laughs> so what well, you know what I mean? It's a minuscule probability, right? So yeah. really what also is at play here, I'm guessing, is we don't want to condone uh, premarital sex, sex outside of marriage. Yeah. Except right. wouldn't, are all unwanted pregnancies, people are having sex outside of marriage? No, it is not. I mean, there's about 15 to 20% of all abortions are procured by married couples, which means that there's some other reason probably economic that they're getting. So no, I mean, we really have to rethink, um, the, the whole framing of abortion and unwanted uh, versus unwanted pregnancies. Right. And contraceptive, you know, I didn't even and realize, and I didn't even say that <laughs> I wasn't intending on saying this. So I hope my daughter's okay with this, but you know, I didn't realize that as having moved from New York to, to Dallas, Texas, my kids were raised in suburban lifestyle and a suburban school. And I never knew until probably mm, four years ago, maybe three years ago, that they taught abstinence in the school system. Um, Okay, (laughs) let me finish this. Um, And and that there was no suggestion of birth control because of course we don't want to allude to the fact that they would be having sex first, you know, with sex outside of marriage. And right. I, you know, we can get into this discussion, but I was mortified. I thought, oh my gosh, that was your sole 
information, don't do it. Um, Okay. It's terrible. It's a terrible thing. Yeah. (laughs) One last question I want to ask. How would you recommend we talk about this in a civilized fashion as Christians? Like somebody listening to this podcast, how do they have this conversation with someone on the far right or the far left? I mean, what would you help us? (laughs) Well, it, that's a great question, and, and I continue to learn, and I feel like the um, the environment is is changing a, a bit. But um, I think that most people recognize that the terms pro life and pro choice have almost no meaning anymore because people are more interested in either the the exceptions that you're willing to make or the uh, you know what what exactly. Um, would be moral justifications for abortion and things like that. And, and I think that that's just a better, that is a better place to start. Um, having said that, I think there's, there's a whole other side of it, which is um, people are so biblically literate. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. They're so biblically illiterate that right. they, they've never even thought about how Exodus 21 factors into this. And, um, uh, and gosh, it, there's just so much, uh, there. They also have not really considered the history of the politicization of the abortion issue, especially since Reagan, right? So to, to ask the question, should abortion be in a social welfare and public health framing, or should it be in a capitalism and criminalization framing? That by itself um, needs to be talked about. And, and I think that can lead to much better discussions. Thank you for that. One of the things um, I know is on your website that's very helpful is you have some podcasts there or YouTube. I don't know what you call it. I'm totally not into this world, but you know what I'm saying. Um, that gives yep. even deeper, but also like if somebody wanted to download it they, and they were with a family member that felt differently, they could maybe watch it together, have a conversation. Um, where else can they find, like how, what else, where do I direct them? Tell them about your website, how they can find out more information, how they can have facilitate these conversations. Yes, thanks for asking that. Um, my organization's website is anastasiscenter.org, and that is spelled A-N-A-S, T-A-S-I-S. Anastasis is the Greek word for resurrection. Uh, so uh, if you go there, this, the homepage will show you uh, some of our recordings and our recorded classes. Uh, in, in July of this year, I tried to distill down the, the abortion policy book into three classes that were about an hour each there was a little bit of pre-reading that I asked people to do, but in any case, the, the recordings and those blog post readings are, are listed on a page. It's called the, the study and action guide to abortion policy. So that's easy to find. Just, you know, click there. It will take you to that page. And I, I would really uh, ask people, first of all, please use it because it might be, uh, you know, with, with family members, friends, church, small groups, right, church, small groups, discussion groups. 
yes, uh, I've used it for those purposes uh, because it is hard to, number one, just wrap your, to be informed and to wrap your mind around some of these things. But also, um, you know, I recognize that, um, that the book, uh, Abortion Policy and Christian Social Ethics in the United States, it, while, yeah, I'm glad I wrote it, it, it is a little more of a of reference material. It's, it's hard to just distill down um, what I want people to get. And so the, um, there are three recordings that are one hour or less each, and you could break it up. You, um, you could use it for, you know, discussion material. And I, I would just ask any of your readers, if folks do that, please reach out to me and let me know how it goes. And if there are ways that I can help, that please let awesome. me know. There's just a way to contact me through the website. Well, that's awesome. And I appreciate you doing that. I appreciate you giving your mind and your time to us today. This is such an important issue. It impacts women, which is my audience and my audience is evangelical women. And we don't know how to think about this. And I, uh, when I read your stuff, I thought, okay, finally, somebody who's going to start at least rooting me in the historical tradition of our church, the, the biblical text, and then help me think about how historically this has become politicized. So I just thank you very much. I appreciate you greatly, and may the Lord bless this ministry work that you're doing. So have a great day. Thank you so much, Jackie. Right. You as well. Thanks for having me on. All right. Bye. Hey, if you've enjoyed this conversation, then hop on over to themarcellaproject.com and sign up for our email or check out some of our other resources. You can also find me on the Marcella Project Facebook page or on every other platform of social media as Jackie Reese, R-O-E-S-E. Have a great day.